This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting from the Podcast Detroit studios in Royal Oak, Michigan. For more information about the show or our network, please visit www.podcastdetroit.com. This bar is tended by the founders of the American Association of Whiskey Peeps. The statue-loving historian himself, Trico, brings you the facts one indictment at a time. Foxy Babe staff keeps the boys in line, and of course the color man, Big Dev, and his old Roman mind. So fill your glass with rye and raise it up on high, because this is your Shot of History. Welcome back to Shot of History, where the his- or the shots go down smooth and the history hits you hard. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts, Strike. I'm Stephanie. And I'm the color man, Big Dev. <laughs> Every time. (laughs) (laughs) I get a kick out of it. Um, And today we actually have a guest with us. Uh, Her name's Carly Silver. She's a historian. Um, She works as an assistant editor for Romance Novel Publishing House. Uh, So she knows what makes a good story. And by night, she morphs into an ancient and classical history expert for About.com, serving as a tour guide for the most fascinating and effed up parts of antiquity. Whether uncovering the origins of BDSM or interviewing world famous... World famous famous historians and archaeologists. Did I repeat that? <laughs> no, it's just Trico. It's Trico. He can't read. So he can't read and he can't do accents. <laughs> some of them are just super famous. Sometimes I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> so really, really famous historians and archaeologists she interviews. And uh, Carly makes the ancient world accessible, enjoyable, and downright fun with her examination of dirty, sexy history. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at Carly A. Silver or read her latest investigations into antiquity at ancienthistory.about.com or historybuff.com. Welcome to the show, Carly. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm really excited uh, to be chatting with you. I, th- I love what you're doing, and I'm excited to talk all weird things ancient. Sweet. Awesome. So are we. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited because... I, it was really funny when I was trying to come up with that bio, I wasn't sure, like, well, what do I say about myself? How do I talk myself up? Because, I mean, I think that I'm pretty cool, but, like, I also realized that, you know, like, I, like, not everyone nerds out over the same things that I nerd out over. So I was trying to think, like, like what is, like, a good kind of brand tag? And I figure, like, dirty, sexy history sounds <laughs> fun. And it's true because I really kind of like get my jollies writing about the weird funny stuff that basically is like ancient tabloids. Awesome. <laughs> that is pretty sweet. That's like yeah. right up our alley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cleopatra in a rug. There we go. Yes. And I love that. I love that podcast. I thought that the, um, the laundry basket thing was really fun and I did not know that. And it's going to make me look at doing my laundry. I'm never going to look at doing my laundry the same way again. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All digging through the dirty laundry, like I know the portal's in here somewhere. Where's the portal? No, I know, and I I think that that in particular was really fun because, again, like I am someone that um, I've got Latin under my belt, but Greek isn't something that I have. I don't speak. I don't speak or ever worked on ancient Greek in particular. So um, that's something that another, like you know, those kinds of words can be whether Greek or Latin. uh, can be translated so many different ways that it's interesting to think about 
you know, I don't know. Rugs seem sexier than laundry to me. <laughs> it, it, it absolutely is sexier. Depends on whose laundry, I guess. <laughs> That's true. I mean, but think about it. Like in terms of just like dirty stuff, where would you? I mean, although think how many people, you know, step on rugs. Although the rugs really wouldn't have been on the floor in the ancient world. They probably might have been on wall hangings, depending right. uh, <laughs> depending where you were. But yeah. probably, I think us stepping on rugs is more of a modern luxury as i look at like my ikea carpet awesome <laughs> yeah somebody's just walking down the the hallway and oh cleo's out again <laughs> carpet, yeah, yeah, carpet three from the entrance is missing <laughs> have you guys you guys have seen the cleopatra the elizabeth taylor richard burton movie right oh my god uh, yes it's been a while but yeah i know i rewatched it maybe like a couple months ago and it's so cringeworthy. It's kind of just like, I, it's one of those things that you can't tell if it's so good, it's bad, or it's so bad, it's good. <laughs> and there, are, it's not even like from a historical perspective. I felt that it was so uncomfortable. It was just like, why is why? <laughs> I mean, there's the historical part, sure, but you know, there's it's just like I. I don't know. I feel like their love story was in and of itself enough of a movie to not necessarily need that as a movie. It was just like they basically just needed their own reality show. They didn't really need the Cleopatra movie. <laughs> it's awesome. too bad they did not have cameras back in the day. Right, right. That would have been amazing. Imagine if Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton had had a reality show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's just... I'm not a big reality show person, but I did. I have asked historians when I've interviewed them, like, you know, would Cicero be on Twitter or, you know, who would I think like basically who would have their best, the best ancient reality show. And I think that um, I'm pretty sure it was Barry Strauss, who's the head of the history department at Cornell, who's written a lot about Caesar and is a really great historian. Um, who said some of the effect, like he kind of wanted like an all-star surreal life podcast of like, ancient stars so it was like a really it was a really fun idea and i feel like there needs to be more of like that way of thinking like somehow people just need to resurrect ancient leaders and just put them all in a house together with limited you know internet access if they knew how to use the internet (laughs) (laughs) they could be taught yeah (laughs) well you know i figured if they're so good at waging war they could probably pick it up pretty fast (laughs) exactly yeah you mean I can communicate with millions of people in one go? Sign me up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I actually found the list that um, Barry had sent me. I had spoken to him, was it last year, about um, he wrote this great book called The Death of Caesar, The Story of History's Most Famous Assassination for Simon Schuster, which was a really interesting book and a look into the conspiracy itself, not really as, I mean, not just Caesar. So I think I had asked him about like, was it like the real Republicans of ancient Rome or seizing the Caesars or something like that? You know, like, and he said something along the lines of um, House of Dice, a reality show in which the winner gets to rule an empire, but only after taking calculated risks that knock off the (laughs) other contestants, which I thought was a brilliant idea. And kind of like that new show was like American Grit, but with ancient leaders and death, which is kind Mm. of a much more entertaining way to do it. That's way, way more entertaining <laughs> it's like ancient conquerors it. but someone dies and I mean, <laughs> like as long as like no one like living currently living is hurt i mean they're already dead so maybe it's just like zombies but <laughs> you know like briefly resurrected for the purpose of um to kill him again yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
what's my motivation? Well, you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, again, really, again. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that that, I mean, that would be really fun. I always kind of try and think of those kinds of things of like, you know, what, you know, what would so-and-so be doing or thinking in the modern world? You know, it's, it's hard to tell because, you know, Cicero just would not probably ever get off Twitter. He'd be live tweeting, like live tweeting something, <laughs> like live, tweet, live tweets, but it's hard to, it, I mean, it's really hard to tell, but it's fun to have fun with that kind of stuff. Because I mean, could you imagine like the Real House, the Real Housewives of you know of ancient Athens, or you know, like I, I really yes. think that Andy Cohen needs to make that one of his next franchises. <laughs> oh, that'd be fantastic! That'd uh, yeah, be awesome. that, that would be totally watchable. <laughs> I know. I mean, I feel like that would be a way more fun. Not fun. I mean, the Real Housewives has their appeal, but I feel like that would be definitely more. All, I would find it more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Screw everybody else. I'll yeah. find it more interesting. <laughs> well, I, mean, I can only say, I can only speak for myself on this kind of stuff. I don't, I mean, I have definitely have my, my reality TV guilty pleasures, but, um, you know, I know that like, you know, resurrected zombies of ancient leaders, whether, you know, murderers or, you know, populists or both um, would probably be a, an improvement upon the Real Housewives of any. <laughs> Absolutely. So, although the Real Housewives of Atlanta, is pretty, of Atlanta is pretty entertaining, I do have to say, I accidentally caught the reunion. <laughs> <laughs> accidentally <laughs> with finger yeah. quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Flipping yeah. through channels I, so the batteries I, went dead on the remote uh, and it was yeah. just stuck there. <laughs> Across Brooklyn. I am, yes, it was sort of accidental, but it was really entertaining and I get why people like it. I mean, I have my own reality show, like it's not my own because I'm don't star in a reality show. <laughs> <but> I, <laughs> the life and times of a 20 something in publishing. Like I'm not really <laughs> sure what that would entail, but it's not, would not be that exciting. <laughs> yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'd watch it. It's not, well, I'm glad that someone, it sounds like you would find it entertaining, which I'm really glad would be the case because I'm, you know, I would need, you know, sponsors and that fun stuff. <laughs> well, we yeah. do have a really great sponsor. We do. Yeah. The American Association of Whiskey Peeps. So exactly. uh, yes. they're pretty amazing. And I love ancient alcohol. I mean, I love, I mean, well, everyone kind of, well, okay, that, that, that's a really random statement, but I swear it has contact. <laughs> So I recently had the good um, the good fortune to go to the Penn Museum, and it's part of uh, University of Pennsylvania. It's in Philadelphia, and there they um, they do a ton of stuff based exhibits in the ancient world, and they're really really wonderful people. So if they're listening, which hopefully they will be, they are awesome. And thank you guys for showing me around the museum. One of the exhibits they have um, going on now is about King Midas. And there was this Sweet. amazing ancient tomb, 150, more than 150 feet high. It's called a tumulus, which is basically just like a, a giant hill that's um, artificially made, kind of like a tell in, um, it's the same thing as a tell in uh, in the Middle East. That's mm-hmm. um, basically just like mounds of dirt, whether of habitation or artificially um basically just built up for you know monumentality purposes Mm -hmm. this giant tomb this like one big chamber that was under 150 feet of dirt basically and it was this tomb of this iron age presumably king found at this really uh prominent 
city in ancient Turkey called Gordian. And that's where the mythical King Midas is supposed to have lived. There's a lot of stories surrounded, uh, surrounding him, obviously, with his golden touch and his gold member, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if he has the gold touch. I mean, you know that his yeah. member is definitely <laughs> gold. Power is my bad. But, <laughs> um, what was really interesting is that, so... Um, Penn did all um, excavations starting, I think, you know, decades and decades ago. And so they have this fascinating exhibit about this giant tomb was called Tumulus MM that was found that was, I believe, from the 8th century BC. And it's probably not the King Midas that we all know and love. But what was really interesting is there was this giant funeral banquet. And it was probably like actually like the nobles of the kingdom probably ate and drank um, at um, before this guy was, you know, lowered into this, you know, 150 foot tomb. I don't know exactly how, um, you know, they built on top of it or Lord knows how that um, construction sort of went down. But the um, all of the banquet dishes, the tables, the cauldrons, everything was buried with him. So he's, there's not actually a single piece of gold that was – well, correction. I don't remember if there was any gold, but primarily bronze, you know, like basically cauldrons, um, goblets and things to drink out of um, were buried with him, which is really interesting given the whole, you know, Midas and the gold touch thing. But point being is that um, this amazing bioarchaeologist named Dr. Pat was able to take, um, was able to take a look at what was actually found in these glasses because people actually, or these um, goblets, because people actually use them at the final big kind of like blow up, blow up. Blow out. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got what you meant. Yeah. Right um, and he was gay because it's not like he was like finally getting his hair blown out for the last time. <laughs> he was able to analyze the sediment of the drinks that were actually drunk. And um, together with Dogfish Head Brewery, he was able to, they put out a line of ancient inspired beers. It was like this combination Sweet. of, I think, like honeymead, wine, mm-hmm. and something else that sounds really gross, like in and of, like in its basic recipe. But um, this bioarchaeologist, together with actual brewers, put together this really delicious beer based on an eighth-century recipe that was actually drunk at a funeral banquet for what was probably one of the most, you know, a very very prominent ancient ruler in. And didn't Turkey. they? They called it Midas Touch. I've had it. And, uh, yeah, what did you think of it? I personally did not like it. Um, <laughs> to be honest with you, it was it, it's a different. It was a very unique flavor for a beer, but I get it. It's an ancient recipe, you know. And I'm yeah. used to drinking modern Arab beers, yeah. you know, <laughs> stuff that hasn't sat in a clay pot for months <laughs> and wait for natural right. yeast to fall. You need to tell me that's not how you drink your beer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't. That's real wrong. Yeah, it wasn't bad, but like it was definitely different because I watched. Um, they they had that television show where they um yeah. they talked about it and then they did like the the whole unveiling of the beer and it was really interesting and I was like, oh man, I really want to try this beer and then I didn't and I just felt disappointed, <laughs> but. You know, every now and again. There's been a couple of cases of that where they've like taken and scraped ancient yeast off of pots and used that yeast and and bred a strain that they made beer out of. And Mm -hmm. that's that's not super uncommon, but I haven't heard of this this Doghead Fish Brewery uh, doing the the Midas. Dogfish Head. Yeah. Yeah, which in and of itself is a really interesting image because which end is the fit, which like, so the dog. Is is the head the fish or the dog? I'm, I'm I think the, the head dog. is the fish. 
Hmm? I think the head's the fish. Oh, that's 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 disappointing. <laughs> yeah. They have a dogfish, right? Because they have catfish. So I figured they just have a fish that was like the dogfish yeah. and they cut off its head. Well, now I'm going like to have to look this up on my cell phone. <laughs> now we're all doing research. What I thought was particularly interesting is that they now have like a looks line of It like a shark. A shark? Yeah. Cool. That works. <laughs> it's It's way less way less flashy than we thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is. It is actually pretty boring, but I mean, it, it's a really great brewing company. They do a lot of uh, really yeah. good beers. Um, I'm a, a beer snob. So uh, <laughs> I drink. know very little about beer in the modern world. I can tell you quite a bit about ancient Egyptian beer, but I, so I am, I like, I just know if it tastes good, I like it. Well, there you go. <laughs> that, that is all that matters. <laughs> but so I always like try and listen when people like you guys who obviously know what you're talking about when it comes to beer and spirits. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> you are like connoisseurs. You know, I haven't the slightest clue. I know if it tastes good because that is something that my taste buds can tell me. But other than that, modern, I have no idea. I always just refer to Dev. I'm like, Dev, what should I drink? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me what to drink. I don't know. What is like the go-to shot of history? Is it just like straight up shot? I know you guys are big whiskey fans. Is there like a a go-to brew, if you will? (laughs) Um, Pretty much whatever I find in my cabinet, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, Dev always brings over stuff for gin and tonics. And he's got his uh, He's like a professional. Um, it's like a portable mini bar that he carries with him to the show. I was going to bring something fancy, but I got sick. So I'm just drinking crown royal whiskey and you're drinking Southern comfort. Yeah. Well, I had a, like a little thing of, um, of, uh, fireball. Fireball. So I'm like, hell yeah, fireball. Cause I'm drinking like hard, um, hard root beer. So I'm like, this is going to taste good. And then I found some Southern comfort in my cabinet in the liquor cabinet. And I'm like, there's no expiration dates. So it's and it's still, still sealed. It's still, <laughs> it's still sealed. sealed. Yeah. So it's gotta be good. So you know, what? whenever there's not an expiration date on something, that's just like a hug from the world. I mean, <laughs> awesome. You know what? Because I mean, I can tell you like living in New York, it's, I mean, everything is so ridiculously expensive. If you're listening to me, housing department, I love, I love the city, but I, it's, it's, it's insane. But so, um, one thing that I did recently that was really fun is I like looking sort of at the ancient equivalents of stuff that, um, or historical equivalents of stuff that we do today. So I was on, I just was ordering takeout from seamless and I was thinking to myself, well, what is there, was there ancient takeout? And I was like this, this is basically how I start writing articles because, um, I write, um, as the ancient history, ancient and classical history expert for about.com. But then I also, um, write a lot of articles for this great new website called history buff. That's really up and coming and they're wonderful. And so this is how a lot of my thought processes are like, what if this was in the ancient world? What would we do with it? Or what did people do with stuff like this? So I started, like, I started just kind of going down the Google rabbit hole. And that's how a lot of my research starts. But you know, I always try and I always do a lot of research and, you know, do a lot of inline linking to places where people can read more specifically. And the great thing about Twitter is that there are so many people that can either direct you to research or are doing those particular research on those particular topics themselves. So I had gone to a great conference at NYU about food in ancient Rome. And so I seem to remember something about like ancient snack shops being a thing. And so I looked, I took notes because I'm a giant nerd and I took notes and I remembered, like I started to sort of put all these puzzle pieces together. And 
I reached out to some historians and said like, Hey, do you have pictures of this? And it ended up coming together to be a really fun article. And anyone interested in hearing about the origins of ancient takeout? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So in, in Rome in particular, um, people lived in like, imagine New York city apartments, but like, you know, think like, you know, 1900s and like slums and really bad. I mean, it, it was it was bad. I was there were some studies on like ancient so like Detroit. Where you like yeah. people dump their feces out the window, you know. Yes. So and Detroit, that's, oh, yeah. yeah. Those ancient <laughs> are my favorite. There's like feces flinging, and there's I mean like ancient graffiti, which I'd love to get into in a second because those kinds of like I think the poets uh, Marshall and Juvenal are places like where they talk about that like basically like watch out and make sure you look up because there's like there's going to be a shit storm <laughs> a, a legit <laughs> shit storm going out the window I don't know so that we, looking up is really the best <laughs> so just like watch out because you have to make sure because there is stuff coming down so people in Rome in particular because you know it grew over the you know seven hills and there are more than seven hills but you know over time you the only place as and as today, the only place to go was up. And so people lived in apartment blocks called insulae. And insula is the Latin word for islands. So they were really just crammed together in like, you know, think like tenement, but, you know, like as bad as it gets. There really wasn't enough room for people, let alone basic kitchens. So again, like, you know, the higher you go up and you were talking multi-story, not like 20 stories, but, you know, maybe like five, you know, impressive so yeah. you know the, the higher and everything was a walk up and so you know the higher you went up the cheaper the apartments would be but the less room you'd actually have for people or kitchen space and the last thing you want in a flimsy you know tenement where you know chances are the vigil the vigil um well they'd be wiggles if you technical latin because you print the v is pronounced as a w but the vigilas who were basically like police slash firefighters aren't going to be coming to every building you know they're not you know, they're not like our, the firefighters were, you know, everyone, everyone's kind of appointed, you know, or they're doing their jobs really. There were vigilas for every kind of area, but you know, there's only, we're only so many. So the last thing you'd want to be doing in a flimsy, not fire safe apartment, you know, high up would be cooking with a stove, not to mention you really have no room and you probably have a lot of people crammed to each room. So out of this sort of really, I guess, anti-stove culture, which is not a really good term. But (laughs) this is where the hot plate came from. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no offense like the stove industry, but, you know, 2,000 years ago, there wasn't any room for stoves. As I'm looking around, you know, like, there's barely room for my stove. So people would have to go out and buy prepared food. So you'd either go out and eat it at, like, a local snack bar, which is what's called a capana or a taberna, and you'd bring it home. So there was this really fast especially in Pompeii and Herculaneum there's a lot of really great there are a lot of really amazing um examples of um of tabernite that survive and you could they have this really characteristic sort of like just looks like a bar um this characteristic L shape um that survived and there were storage jars and there's still some residue in storage jars of course in Pompeii there's a lot more of this kind of stuff because it was preserved and um, they sold everything from, you know, like foodstuffs. There were indoor food markets. There were street um, hawkers, but we don't really have evidence of that because no one left stuff behind. And there is are some indications that were there were basically like snack shop chains, like ancient Chipotle. <laughs> awesome. uh, it's so interesting because they all sort of had the similar L-shaped bar that is really, really common throughout a lot of um, – 
a lot of cities and in particular was found a lot in Italy, but it's like the local watering hole. So you go there after work. Um, they might, might be on like the first floor of your apartment building. Cause you know, if you're renting, if the landlords are renting out the first floor, they want the business and the most, what's going to be, you know, easily, most easily accessible to people. It's going to be what's on the first floor. So they want what's going to be making the most money to be on the first floor. So, you know, you'd probably pick up your dinner or, you know, grab a glass of wine before you went home after work at this local snack shop. So it's like having a Starbucks in the basement of your building, except wine and more fun. (laughs) (laughs) And there were just like walk-up counters and there were big, you know, storage jars. You could get dried goods. You kind of get anything. And people, there's some evidence of writing menus on the wall. Um, Although that is, you know, that it it depends where, you know, which source you're reading. But, um, you know, people, there's a really great note at this one bar in Pompeii about someone drew a cartoon about a love triangle and someone at another bar just basically wrote, I screwed the, I screwed the barmaid. And I was like, (laughs) yes. So it's a very long winded way of saying like that all of this kind of, you know, like pub culture that's, was that you, one might think is more of a modern thing is was completely present on the ancient world. Awesome. Wow. People have always needed to get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's always been a need for it. So, and you know, it's, to eat awesome foods that you don't have to cook. Right. So. Yeah. I know. And it makes me feel so much better about looking at my takeout bill because <laughs> I mean, although in theory I do have a stove, you know, like there's not, not, I'm not the only person throughout history that has not wanted to cook. <laughs> and if I want to order on Seamless because someone can, you know, and I want to, you know, tip them generously and everything, like I just, you know, look at the Romans and think, you know, when in, when in, when on Seamless, do as the Romans did. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> it's a very weird way of looking at things, but I try and, I mean, maybe it's more just me trying to justify me. Yeah, it makes you feel better yeah. about what you've just done. So does. Absolutely. <laughs> Whatever makes you feel better, just do it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, that's, and then, you know, I love, you know, ancient graffiti, which, you know, most of it is, a lot of it is like, is just beyond dirty. And again, Pompeii is a really wonderful source for this kind of stuff. There's a, um, Brian Harvey from, uh, which is one of my, it's a really good site. This is all things Pompeii has compiled this amazing list of graffiti and it's the, one of my favorite things to talk about when I, you know, like if I give a talk or I have this a lecture series that I've given at this local, um, sort of like the learning annex, but cooler and more fun, <laughs> um, <laughs> called, uh, the Brooklyn Brainery that I give a talk called game of thongs on like everything sexy in the ancient world. Uh-huh. And I always talk about like ancient, basically like ancient porn, ancient graffiti. And it's really fun because people just basically like saying like, I fucked the barmaid and it's like, it's wonderful. (laughs) I can see that being uh, popular. Yes. And especially because I mean, there are explicit drawings. There are, I mean, there's also like really like, it's, it's just so weird, you know, like it's, it's, there's, you know, you had, there's the image, I think was Augustus said something or was supposed to have said something like, you know, I found Rome a city of, I think it was brick and I left it a city of marble. Well, as Mary Beard points out in her book, SPQR, that really wasn't the case. The, the, he did add some marble, you know, stuff here and there, but the Rome that we really think of as being marble is, is a product of, you know, the later centuries. And, you know, so that kind of austere image of Rome is something that I think 
got, you know, with the occasional, like, you know, the people in power were scandalous and they had sex, but, you know, Rome itself was a city of virtuous people. Not at all. It was just <laughs> the poor people were having sex poor. too. <laughs> people were just as horrible as people can be today. I mean, you know, it, but you know, there is there, I mean, you know, you, that I guess we feel, I feel like there's this really, the popular image of Rome is this very austere, image and for me i kind of just like like i love poking holes and i'd be like no look they're actually really just there's there's sex everywhere uh, yeah i i never thought that rome was like i i really yeah. thought that rome was kind of dirty and and uh See, i indulgent. like the way you think yeah i've never i've never I just had that imagine picture of a, rome a guy on the corner that'd be like hey kid i'll uh carve you up a real sexy lady here it's gonna take about six weeks and now now you think like back to when we had dial up and kids are like oh it's gonna take five minutes to download this porn <laughs> there's actually i forget which statue there's a really great greek statue it's one of the venuses i can't remember which one of course but Basically, there's an implication that it was so beautiful that this guy hid out in the sanctuary and just and anally raped the statue because it was such a gorgeous. <laughs> wow, was so gorgeous! And that it was is some dedication. One of the Venuses of and I, like, and they were supposed to have ever after have been like a semen stain on the statue on the marble, and I was like. <laughs> So, you well, ruined adults. a perfectly good thing. Yeah. <laughs> semen. Come on. Come on, guys. Stop ruining things with your semen, okay? <laughs> so, like, like after it closed, you just kind of came off as a hammer and chisel and chiseled a hole real quick and kind of just had at it or what? You know, I don't know the mechanics of it, but I mean, if you think about it, I mean, you know, just, you know what? I mean. Let's try not to think of the mechanics. <laughs> How does this whole thing work? <laughs> I mean, I just for research. Yeah, Trico is going to do this later with some kind of statue. Yeah. That he yeah, finds, yeah, yeah. So a lot of fine oh, no, statues I've, in the Detroit area. Chiseled a hole, <laughs> threw, <laughs> threw some uh, stone in his pant leg, walked it out like Andy Dufresne oh, over the course God. of months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fuck that statue. <laughs> like that was a legend, but yeah. you know, I mean, I figure, you know, I just. I mean, you mean you guys have never seen a statue that's just so beautiful that you've been inspired to go up and like, <laughs> no. no, no, no. There's all these stolen statues in my basement. <laughs> yeah, they're all like the only one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's basically like an ancient blow up doll. And which I think is brilliant. Except, Except for, you know, much more uncomfortable to, yeah. to yeah. try to harder. actually have sex with. Yeah. I would think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how the logistics of it, but I hope for that guy's sake that like someone had some ointment afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> like that can't have been comfortable. Uh, no, really. just walks out. <laughs> totally worth it. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, the funny thing is that the, you know, the Pygmalion and Galatea story of, you know, the statue that turns into, uh, he wish he prays to Aphrodite, that the statue, this beautiful statue turned to woman. And it does, um, I like that's such a fun, weird twist on what was probably a really well-known story in the ancient world that I love to think that there was some uh, ancient writer that's just like, what would make this weirder? This guy already <laughs> wished that the statue would turn into his wife, and she did. But then he like it's, but like it's like, well, what if she didn't turn into a statue and he was still really into it? It, it didn't make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> I just what like to think that? of like all of the bad puns that can be made on that subject. Awesome. <laughs> wow. Um, 
Yeah, I just, oh man, I love, but so I love that you guys, like your thought wasn't like ancient Rome, high and mighty. Cause for some reason that was always my impression. Like before I <laughs> oh, started no. these kinds of things and being like, actually no ancient Romans used like, you know, our version of like, um, the way we have like sponges on sticks, like when you can use in the shower. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. 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 They used that as toilet paper. It was called a xylospongium. <laughs> and it was occasionally disinfected by using vinegar. But occasionally. It was, <laughs> <laughs> once, once a year. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, there's a great um, Seneca, the philosophers and playwright Seneca. It's called, <laughs> there's a great let, um, like just passage that he has where he's contemplating the best way for a guy to commit suicide because you know that's what you do when you're a philosopher you talk about (laughs) of course so this act um and i had uh he mentions that one example of a german gladiator choking himself to death by using one of these sponge sticks not to mention that like you know hygiene or what i mean i guess like if you're that if that's where you're at it's not <laughs> primary concern if you're gonna kill yourself you don't care if you have shit on your face. <laughs> you're just like well either i'm gonna i'm either gonna suffocate yeah. to death or i'm gonna die of some <laughs> weird infection <laughs> I'm, yeah because i figured even if the guy didn't choke himself to death he probably there's something that you know would have um you know, like a super bad case of pink eye that just yeah, took yeah. out. You know, <laughs> like pink throat. Oh god! I mean, you know, like, but there really we don't. There isn't a ton of evidence beyond like a couple, you know, mentions. And if you ever look um, for these kinds of things, you know, we know that they existed. But um, and actually, Caroline Lawrence, who's a really wonderful um, writer, and she writes. Uh, she's a, a British historical fiction writer who writes um, stories set in ancient Rome for kids. And I wish. And young adults, and I only wish that she had been writing stuff when I was a kid because I would have read everything she ever wrote. She, I follow her on Twitter, and she mentioned these sponge sticks, and she's really has done, made like a recreation of them, and has mentioned them. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. So shout out to her because she is the one who turned me onto this type of spongy. I'm not for use, <laughs> but in terms of studying, <laughs> hey, um, you gotta check out this sponge on a stick, man. <laughs> she she mentioned. I saw her mention that one day, and I was like, this is fascinating <laughs> and that's one of the many many reasons i love twitter is because there are so many historians out there that are sharing their finds that are just like look at this weird thing that we found yeah. and everyone it's just everyone's geeking out together and everyone's really welcoming of people just kind of pitching in or just commenting and you know, like oh that's really cool or that's weird or what the fuck well, there's, <laughs> a, there's a whole twitter account called whores of yore that it's <laughs> you, all are about you, are you kidding me no no it's it's like it's a twitter account of just like old school whores <laughs> like victorian oh, era and like God. on back yeah wow. it's great it's awesome. funny i need to get on that <laughs> yeah like right now <laughs> that is amazing thank you and i'm going to follow that <laughs> like i love that kind of stuff it's just yeah. like you didn't i mean that kind of i mean i am particular i'm really passionate about uh i was so i went to barnard which is uh, the women's college of Columbia university. So there's Columbia's, um, before Columbia was, um, um, allowed women and there was Barnard, which is the, um, the female equivalent. And then even after they went co-ed Barnard still exists as a separate institution within the larger Columbia umbrella. So Barnard is like fiercely, fiercely feminist. And so one, and as am I, and I think that, um, one of the things that I really got from studying there was a desire to 
let the women of the past tell their stories. And I think that so often, you know, there can just kind of be like, oh, there are horrors. But like, well, what, you know, I love to think about, you know, try and research these women, what their lives might have been like way, you know, as much as we can let them, you know, as much information as there is on their lives as possible and just kind of letting that speak for itself. You know, it's tough because the sources that we have that were written about them were written by aristocratic, you know, white men and, and, you know, these, in most of these, you know, Greek sources. So how much we're going to, of reliable information we're going to get about them is really going to be, you know, next to, next to none. But I think that, you know, with, but you add archeology span and a lot of, um, good research and historical fiction writing as well has been done on bringing their lives to the fore. And I think that that's a lot of fun to imagine, um, to kind of, to let them emerge. And I think that, um, you know, I, whether it's, you know, courtesans or queens or whomever, I love, you know, kind of allowing women of the past to emerge from obscurity. And I think that that, I find that kind of stuff a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, it's a very, uh, very interesting yeah. rabbit hole to go down. It's <laughs> <laughs> a completely different rabbit hole from like the, you know, dirty, sexy stuff. And that's like, it's like a complete 180 because that's like you know actual people versus just like toilet paper (laughs) it's completely different and meant to be completely different by the way i don't you know lump those in the same category i just you know like but i find in completely different reasons find them both really interesting and there have been a lot of you know i think that there have been a lot of you know whether ancient queens or um you know just women's stories that I've, you know, will write articles about. And I find, I think really resonate with people, whether it's, um, some of my favorite. So, you know, there's been a lot, you know, you, you, when you think of Queens in the ancient world or powerful women, who do you guys think of? Mm. Probably, uh, well, like Cleopatra, obviously Cleopatra, um, (laughs) Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. Queen Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, uh, Nefertiti probably. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, had, had Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, probably her over Nefertiti because she was like a full on pharaoh. Um, she was awesome. Yeah, yeah, she was awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, so probably I'd say probably those are like the three big ones, I guess. Yeah. And that kind of includes a lot of the different cultures. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And I think that those are a lot of people know a bit about those women, but they don't know that there are a lot of other additional women. And then in a lot of, you know, whether, you know, we don't have as much information about them or they weren't as kind of like flashy as some of the big ones um, whose stories, you know, whether haven't been told because they're not uh, a lot of times it's, you know, whether the monuments have been knocked down or they're, you know, the sources that we have don't really tell as much about them. I love kind of, you know, taking the untold stories that, or stories that, you know, maybe only get like, you know, an occasional article um, and just kind of mm-hmm. trying to retell them. So, and I find it fascinating. So in particular, you know, we look at sources, um, you know, the, most of the history that we have is, you know, the primary sources would have been written by, you know, elite white males. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to necessarily get a lot about, you know, Queens of, you know, different backgrounds of, of color of different, you know, interest, of different, um, there are of interest to us, except, you know, these writers may have seen them as like, you know, weird curiosities. So one of my favorite examples is there, um, is evidence that in ancient Nubia to the South of Egypt, where Egypt, you know, had is basically a colony for centuries, um, where they mined a lot of their gold. Um, 
that was kind of considered like the kind of barbarian southern end of Egypt, there was a flourishing um, culture, in, uh, especially uh, in the uh, at the site of Meroe in ancient Egypt, they in uh, ancient Nubia, and they had their own pyramids, and there was definitely a lot of cultural exchange. But the Egyptians kind of just you know thought of it as like their like their like ugly stepsister, basically. <laughs> and but and so they don't get their own you know they don't get a lot of credit because they're now in modern um, archaeology. There's been a lot more work done in the Sudan and that area, those areas. Um, on these ancient sites, but they're absolutely incredible. And the kings and queens that ruled there in their own right are fascinating, regardless of the Egyptians. And again, that kind of Western skewing, uh, you know, Caucasian perspective has been, the emphasis has been on the sort of, you know, Egyptian pharaoh that has been co-opted into the Western narrative. But there were these, in particular, there were these amazing um, queens called the Candakees, which I don't know how the exact pronunciation is. It's spelled like Candace, but with K's. And there were these amazing, uh, in the last couple centuries prior to, um, well, I always liked, I hate saying the birth of Christ, but all right, fine. Jesus, I'll give you a shout. <laughs> Just yeah. say it. Uh, sure. Um, um, BC, there were these war, these fabulous warrior queens that were supposed to have, um, you know, they're mentioned in acts, they're mentioned in, um, maybe fighting with Alexander the Great. And, you know, there's, there are, they don't get a lot of, you know, kind of, they get a little short shrift. And, it, you know, I had heard of them briefly, but I remember sort of, again, coming across like a reference in passing, being like, wow, these women sound incredible. Let me learn more about them. So I dove down my fate, my history rabbit hole and just wound up like falling in love with these people. I want, I want, you know, movies to be made about them. I would love to read historical fiction novels, you know, set in their society at Meroway. And, um, you know, they were probably, you know, long members of a long line of independent African Queens. And I think that it's important to acknowledge, you know, well, I think the archeologists more and more are, you know, looking at stuff just beyond the immediate, you know, Greece, Rome, and then, you know, people um, in centuries past have, you know, would co-opt Egypt into that. But we forget that Egypt is in Africa and is, you know, part of, you know, much larger cultural exchange, not just in the Mediterranean and beyond, but, you know, on the continent of Africa itself. And I think that, and when I say we, I don't necessarily just mean us, I mean society and history and archaeology, that there's, you know, the cultural exchange goes a lot of different ways. Because, we'll, you know, we talk about, you know, Egyptian expeditions to Punt into different areas and into the Mediterranean, but there's also, you know, looking, you know, Punt was, which, you know, Hatshepsut sent out an expedition to this fabled land that no one really knows where it is, but, you know, basically the, it's like the El Dorado of the ancient world. And it may have been in Africa, it may have been in Arabia, but I personally find it more interesting, the idea that it is in Africa and that, you know, there are, you know, there's this really fabulous queen that is shown as basically having like rolls and rolls of fat. She kind of looks like a bulldog and she <laughs> hot. Is, <laughs> so no, hot. If you Google the queen of punt, it's spelled like punt with the football um, but she shown as like prosperity. And I love there, there are these traditions that we don't, you know, like it's kind of like, oh, well, she's just this exotic whatever, because that's the way the Egyptians saw her see, seemingly this exotic curiosity. But I find this woman fascinating and I want, you know, I don't, she wasn't a Nubia. It doesn't look like in terms of geography, but, you know, I love, you know, if I could help, 
you know, try and, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I want to somehow bring her to life if I, if I could. I don't know. I've like in my mind, all of these things that I really want to, um, like people to write about. And I try, you know, I'll write nonfiction about them, but you know, I'm, I love reading historical fiction, but I'm not necessarily a novelist. So I, I'm like, hey, history, like historical fiction writer, writers, why don't you guys write about these awesome people? And I realize that's not exactly the way it works, unfortunately. <laughs> well, you can always send suggestions, I'm yeah. sure. Oh, I do. I like try and influence people all the time. And I'm really, really, really long-winded way of saying that, but I just I find these particular women fascinating. And, you know, there's even a story that, um, you know, the I believe her name is Amana Renas, who's one of the queens of Meroe in Nubia. Um, routed the Romans who were in Roman Egypt at the time. Um, well, it actually wasn't quite correction. It, it was like kind of the end of the Ptolemaic era, early Augustan era. And um, she was called queen of the Ethiopians by the historian Strabo, a masculine woman who had lost an eye. And it's really interesting that, you know, yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, she's, you know, she's a woman, but she's a warrior. So it means that she can't, you know, like, you know, all of these implications that we think about today, which are so interesting, but she's described, um, another historian describes her as basically going north and kind of almost kicking out the, um, Roman official who was in the area. And, um, eventually, you know, the, Unfortunately for her, it didn't work out. The Roman guy who was there kind of said like, well, they kind of, they pushed her back south. But the, you know, we don't hear about these kinds of, you know, kick-ass women often enough, I think. And I would love to hear more and more about them. And like they, they have their own pyramids. They have these gorgeous temples. You know, again, centuries and centuries worth of stuff that, you know, history that we only have, we don't have a, we don't have an, they don't have enough representation, I think, in the modern historical narrative. And I would love to see more. So I try. Hints, and, hints. Yeah. <laughs> and take historical fiction writers or basic, not basic, um, like general, um, you know, historians. I, and there's been a lot of work done on them in, you know, the past, cent- the past century. And I think that they're definitely more in the, in the, um, archaeological narrative than they than they were at one point but i think that you know i i'm really i try and like translate not translate but bring stuff that is super obscure and only i would seemingly care about to make it accessible interesting in a way and i think that there's definitely that hunger for these kind for knowledge about powerful women of different backgrounds is you know you can see by you know just looking you know at all of the um you know amazing amazing women across the world today that, you know, were trying to bring their stories to light, whether it from different parts of the world, there were, you know, they're not, uh, they're not the only extraordinary women from their respective backgrounds. There were, you know, there were women like them in antiquity, whether warriors, whether poetesses, whether, um, queens, whether, you know, but for a whole variety of reasons, we don't necessarily have their stories. And I think that it's important to, for historians to acknowledge that and bring those women of, you know, from all different backgrounds, um, to the fore. So we can realize there's a, there are in every different part of the world, there are long traditions of strong, powerful, intelligent women. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, sorry, that's the Barnard in me kind of coming out. It's like, it's basically <laughs> like the feminist flat. Sorry. Sometimes I get like a little 
I just, I feel super, super strong about this kind of stuff. And I think that, um, I don't know. I want to see like these Kandakias, these ancient queens of Nubia, basically be their own superheroes. Like that would be a Marvel movie I would go see. <laughs> like, do, could you imagine a one-eyed ancient queen basically kicking Roman ass? That would be an ace. That that would be an amazing movie. That would yep. be awesome. I, I think we would all buy a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I still got one good eye. Let's do yeah. this. <laughs> Just goes to war. It's about, you know, she's. I mean, she had a. Uh, um, was a Monorena. She was, um, even after her, like kind of like a chipset, even after her husband died, she became, she took power for herself. It wasn't, you know, there was a long tradition of strong women in, um, not just in Egypt, but again, in other areas in, um, in neighboring, uh, Nubia. And I think that, uh, I don't, I just find it fascinating. I love, kind of, I, I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, I'm especially digging the like the one-eyed warrior queen because especially like she's missing like like if her left eye was damaged, then the Roman ambassador guy always got to do is stay on her left side and like he, he won't see her. <laughs> like, I'm picturing like this Marvel comedy. He's into this like, and the statues. Like, yeah, this is where Trico's at right now. <laughs> one-eyed women and statues. <laughs> All of the statues only have one eye. Yeah. <laughs> And there's this great story that the Roman prefect of Egypt attacked her fortress and took a lot of prisoners, but she didn't care. She basically just, I don't mean she cared, I'm sure, but she attacked the Roman garrison with like thousands and thousands of men, regardless. I mean, she was, again, there's a tradition um, of uh, strong, courageous queens in um, in Africa. And there's the, there's a great quote the, um, that she uh, negotiated, you know, she was eventually defeated by the Roman official and this particular queen's name was Amanorenas, but, um, she negotiated with Augustus and the quote says the ambassadors obtained all that they desired and Caesar even remitted the tribute, which he had imposed. So they came to a treaty and even though she was defeated, she got everything she wanted out of her treaty and she didn't have to pay him any tribute, which is pretty extraordinary when you think about it. Exactly. I like how Rome kind of spins it like, oh, yeah, we got what we wanted. They probably got their asses kicked. But they're like, well, we got what we wanted, so everything's cool. We got exactly. ours. <laughs> if you think about it, you know, there's only, you know, this is the source that we're getting. The sources that we're getting these from are Roman sources. I mean, there's yeah. the archaeological evidence, but these particular narratives are Roman. So I, if you think about, you know, if that's what they're saying and that's like what they're grudgingly admitting to, can you only imagine what the – what the other side would have to say. Right. Have, yeah. And what the actual truth is. Exactly. And I'm not oh, saying those that, little Nancy boys, we kicked their ass. <laughs> and I think, you know, there's, um, you know, I love also the idea that, um, uh, you know, they have their own pyramids and they have, um, you know, just really incredible, you know, incredibly fascinating traditions in Nubia that while there are definite similarities and there were, there's definite hybridization with, um, and incorporation with, you know, Egyptian culture and you see gods worshipped, Egyptian gods worshipped Nubia. There are incredibly vibrant, independent traditions that are really just awesome. And, um, you know, there was great flourishing of art and culture and, you know, through all through those centuries that was, you know, they def- they coexisted with, you know, late Ptolemy, I mean, with late Ptolemaic Egypt in particular in the case of these final uh, queens of Meroe. And um, it's really interesting. There's, a, there's basically a piece of like fan fiction about Alexander the Great's life 
called the Alexander Romance, which is really fun. And um, it was from the first couple centuries AD. And um, there's a character in it that we don't know which queen it was based, would have been based on probably whichever queen was alive in Alexander's time, but her name is inside it. She's called the Kandakiv Meroe. So the queen of Meroe. And she basically talks to Alexander one-on-one and she adopts him as her third child. And it's interesting because it's, you know, it's clearly some sort of, you know, justification of a seizing power in Northern Africa. But it's so interesting that, you know, centuries after, um, you know, the, um, you know, the, the queens of Meroe, their rule may have continued into this time period, but their legacy lived on even in the context of Alexander the Great. And it's interesting that um, the way that they continue to be interpreted there, she's negotiating with Alexander as a monarch worthy, you know, one-on-one, not, you know, as a subordinate, but even as a mother figure in a way that really is, it's extraordinary. You think about it, you don't, you know, the... Al, you know, is basically is on is on his level in a way that you don't see. And again, it's another I think a cultural memory of some kick-ass women that uh, um, that are pretty kick-ass. I mean, I really kind of like. Uh, you think I've said kick-ass enough? Kick-ass? <laughs> no, no, definitely no. not. Say it a few more times. It's a new drinking game for this episode. <laughs> yes, every time somebody says kick-ass, you have to have a drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Done. And, and um, with uh, one of the final dynasties before the um before egypt was conquered from the outside um was the 25th dynasty which was um basically um kings of meroe and nubia conquered egypt but there was this really amazing religious renaissance in the 7th century bc before the assyrians babylonians and persians and the greeks and everyone kind of came in and this is yeah like i said the 7th century so i think that you know the society of nubia and the way in which it's interesting interacted it, it, with Egypt, it often gets overshadowed by Egypt itself. And I think that I really love studying this particular part of the world because it's something that doesn't get its fair shrift um, or doesn't get, gets often gets short shrift because of its neighbor to the North. And I think that it's a really fascinating area with a lot of really interesting people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just, I basically just want to, you know, walk around like a one-eyed queen. I just, I want, <laughs> I want this queen to be, I don't know. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm like wishful casting in my head. Like who would I have in this role? And I mean, just like, I'm thinking like the, um, like the, what is it? Like the, um, uh, what, what was it? Like that 300 sequel that looked really terrible oh. and saw yeah. like, something like that, but good. <laughs> awesome. Was it like 400? Like, I feel like I can't. It, it was like 300 Rise of Something, or yeah. Yeah. I don't even remember. Rise so, of the that? Persians, or something like that. <laughs> oh, no, Rise of the Silver Surfer was the fantastic one. <laughs> <laughs> something entirely. Okay, that's something entirely different. It is, but that's fine. It, it was fine. It okay. is also terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. also a bad movie, so we're good. Okay, because <laughs> okay, that's. I, I'm. Yeah, that. But like something like that where it's kind of just basically like. Just again, warrior queens are there are so many. Um, so I, I I love writing about those um, those kinds of women because they're really um, they're really I find them really interesting. And but um, I always like do like to do like well you know if someone was so and so was to write a movie about this person who would I cast and um, that's something that I always just find fun to kind of you know think about who would play a great role and I think that. It, um, uh, Especially given 
you know, the recent Gods of Egypt movie, which was just a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> um, that it's important to, you know, make casting is particularly important. I wrote an article on it, um, which I think was something that I felt very passionate about talking to people, you know, talking to different scholars, talking to Egyptologists, talking to media experts about why, um, not, I think it's not even just whitewashing anymore. It's cultural erasure, which is, um, why this is still allowed to happen. And I think, you know, it's just, I, again, I, I, I write about ancient history and I'm not like the most, you know, I don't have, I have a, I have a platform, but I don't have, you know, the greatest, like, you know, I don't get like, you know, I don't, I'm not like, who am I thinking? I don't know. Who am I thinking of? Like, I don't, I'm not like Buzzfeed. Like I don't have that kind of platform, but I wanted to really talk to people, whether historians, media people, just to, just to address this from what platform I did have, because I felt like, you know, it's, you get this kind of stuff in movies in general, but it's, you know, but this in particular is something that I, you know, I write about ancient history. So this is something that I feel particularly, like I knew, I know, um, you know, like I knew the basic mythology that it was based on. And first of all, it's, there's no, it's not like based on a specific myth. Lord knows there are plenty of things they could have based it on, <laughs> but um, you know, the, it was just the casting choices. I mean, it was just whitewashed beyond belief and there's no, no reason for that to be happening, especially in today's world. And so I, you know, I talked to everyone from Zaki Hiwas, who's, probably the most famous Egyptologist in the world who um, I did an interview with, who's a very, very nice guy to, um, to film scholars, to media experts, to, you know, why is it that they Hollywood will not cast diverse actors in these kinds of stories. And it's really just, you know, I, I don't think I was like reinventing the wheel anyway. Cause I think a lot of people <laughs> wrote really great essays about this particular topic. Yeah. And I wasn't, you know, I, you know, and I definitely tried to link to all of those, but I just tried to look at it from, the, from, you know, interviewing, bringing in some archeologists, bringing in some film scholars, trying to, trying to get a lot of different awesome academics perspectives, because I just like, I just wanted to bang my head against the wall. And I, you know, like why, why couldn't, Ugh! It's just there are a thousand degrees of ugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. I, I've written articles about um, the whitewashing of Hollywood as well, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's a very frustrating thing. Um, and there is no reason for it. Hollywood is—they just do what they want, and then people keep spending their money, and that's why they keep doing it. Mm-hmm. So they're still making yeah. money. They don't care. That's essentially what it is. And it's abhorrent. And I think that something that was um, particularly. Uh, important to me in terms of the quotes. Cause again, I know that how I, how disgusted I was in particular, but I also wanted to see, you know, what, how did other, you know, I, I wanted to let the experts on the topic speak for themselves because they, you know, no far, they, you know, are, you know, experts on these, on these topics for a reason. And I think that there was, um, you know, they, hold on one second. Um, uh, Monica White Nadunu, who uh, was one, incredibly helpful, she's a professor at Tufts in the Department of Drama and Dance, was a particularly helpful uh, source when um, when I was you know putting all this together. And there was um, 
she said something in particular that really resonated with me. She said, it's more than cultural appropriation. It's erasure. It erases the fact that people of color have populated and sustained major civilizations outside of white or Western influence. It misleads people into thinking such civilizations are not possible outside the influence of white people. And I was just looked, you know, taking that chunk of a quote from an art, uh, what she had um, said to me. I think that's so important for us to just, you know, as just to recognize the fact that the way in which by telling these narratives, even if, you know, Hollywood needs to pay attention because it's not just, oh, well, we're going to cast, you know, it's not just a casting decision. It's a choice of the way they misrepresent and try to rewrite a narrative that isn't theirs. And, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's, again, I'm not saying anything that we don't know already. I just, I thought that quote was in particular really just powerful. And, um, I, again, I'm really grateful. I spoke to a lot of people, worked with a lot of really um, awesome second readers. And it was something that I think that, again, as I, I wanted to speak to people and get a lot of experts' opinion, because this is something that, you know, um, you know, exoticism in Egypt is is has been is a long-standing issue. I mean, you know, kind of from Egypt has always been this sort of like like ooh mystical East kind of thing. That's you know that sort of Orientalist perspective of you know you know it's different because and so it's different. So therefore, we try uh, you know it, individuals try and claim it as theirs, and it's not. You know, there's no reason it can't. It's just. It's such like it's such a mind fuck, and I don't. It's just like I, I want. I I just want to throw throw things. things <laughs> I feel like, like you need a hug right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh no no no! I don't. I'm okay. I mean, I have. I feel like I don't know. It's just you know. It's not. You know, I think that there are so many talented actors that should have been should have been uh, uh, cast, and I think that I don't know. I'm just going. Uh, and I'm really, really glad that the movie flopped. I'm really, really glad that this movie flopped. <laughs> so there. Yeah. Ah. yeah. Take that, uh-huh. Hollywood. <laughs> but, you know, let's hope that, you know, again, I'm not expecting that I'm going to, was going to make world, you know, the world shake with this article. But again, I wanted to see, you know, this is, uh, you know, what, you know, just looking at it from an academic perspective and, you know, talk, because it, you will see a lot of these kinds of things in, you know, movies, Hollywood in general, but it's, it's rare that it's ancient history specific. And what I write about is so kind of niche that it's rare that not rare, but, um, given the movie of this kind of buzz was coming out that I thought it, I would be remiss if I didn't talk to individuals, um, in the film industry, journalists, media experts, archeologists, and write something. Um, well, I'm glad that you did because more people need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about advocacy. And I think the more people have that conversation and put it out there, maybe it'll get through. Who knows? One can only hope. And I think that, um, you know, like, wouldn't, how awesome would it be to have like a Hatshepsut biopic? Like, why couldn't we have one of those? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't you, who wouldn't want to see, speaking of kick ass, a, um, an amazing female (laughs) Pharaoh starring, you know, her story comes to life starring an Egyptian actress. Wouldn't that be awesome? Absolutely. I would, I would go see that in a heartbeat. I mean, I would like, 
you know, like, or Zai Uwas, who's in our, you know, who's, um, he's called the Indiana Jones of Egyptian archaeology. You know, he, um, you know, he's a very interesting figure, very, you know, has a very fascinating, fascinating life story himself. He's been on like, he's the guy with the hat who um, you've probably seen in any Egyptology documentary. Um, like <laughs> yeah, that alone, one guy with the hat. Yeah, with the hat. Yeah, okay. yeah he's like, he, his life alone would make an amazing biopic. I would go see that in a heartbeat. And it's so, cause he's, I mean, he's really been through it all. And I mean, there are so many stories that, uh, you know, that I would love to see that, you know, don't need to be, that, you know, that can have and should have, um, you know, actors of color and characters of color. And it, uh, it baffles me. It really, really baffles me. It's just the state of America, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. It, it's sad, but true. So I just want to throw spoons at them. I don't know why spoons. <laughs> you know, <laughs> spoons can be just as dangerous. I mean, yeah, forks, you know, they, and knives might be better, but not mad enough for forks and knives. <laughs> don't want to hurt them, but I was thinking, get the point like, across. I feel like knives are kind of cliche when you're talking about throwing stuff. Yeah. Like maybe I don't know. I have no idea why spoons. I feel like <laughs> like spoons don't get their fair share when it comes to utensils. Like they don't get their. Yeah. Neither do sporks, though, and those are pretty amazing. That's very true. Yeah. That's very true. There's this book Can store. we throw sporks? Can we yes. compromise? <laughs> yes. Yes, I like that. Except now, I, I I think I saw somewhere like someone invented like a spork and knife combo. Uh-oh. It was really, like weird, and it was like a there was like a. I don't know. I think it was like a Kickstarter campaign. I really hope that didn't get off the ground because that would have been a weird invention. Yeah, I don't know if humanity is ready for that. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's too much of a combo. Like two things are already combined. Do you want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> I feel like I need like need like a cap on the knife end because like how would you eat if the knife was like poking you? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Doesn't sound. That. Helpful, but I, I'm now very curious to learn more about ancient utensils. <laughs> yeah, that's your next article. Yeah, yeah. yeah. clearly. Um, <laughs> yeah. How can we make and forks and spoons sexy? <laughs> <laughs> Let's you do this. I mean, I feel like there's a way to. I mean, to make anything sexy, I feel yeah. like there's. Uh, yeah. You know, and I mean, there are so many great Egyptian stories that I whether mythology. Like, did you know that? Um, one of the Egyptian creation, according to one of the Egyptian cre- creation myths, um, the god Atum brought the world into existence by masturbating. <laughs> Not that we can see that on film, but that is just, so unsexy. That should have been God as an In the beginning, I, there was a guy and he had internet access. <laughs> exactly. Which I think is really bizarre considering that. Like there wasn't anyone around except for him. That's the whole point. Like ever, all the other gods came into creation because of that. Because someone, um, he was buffalo he, bill from. He basically was lamb. masturbating to himself. Yeah. He's like, oh my god, I'm so hot. Standing in front of the mirror <laughs> with goodbye horses playing in the background. I'd fuck me. Would you fuck me? <laughs> I mean, I think that someone on Twitter was saying something about this particular myth, and I was like, and I remembered, I was like, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not like not like I'm into that, but it was but like remembered reading about that. I was like, that's weird. <laughs> I like how you just specify like wait, I'm wait. not into dudes masturbating and creating the world. Okay, <laughs> I'm not. That's, that's not that my thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, you know, my browser history. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> uh, no, but I just, I thought, like, what a weirdly interesting cause way of addressing the question of creation. I awesome. just, like, it's so, I, I feel like something like that really, like, you guys are right, like, need, is, um, it seems like impossible not if it's not in the age of the internet. Because what was he? I feel like he wasn't that sexy. I mean, maybe it's just me. You know, this darkness not- is so hot. <laughs> maybe hey, he was just really. There was bored. no air at that point. There, there was like nobody else around, and he's yeah. just like, eh. his mom's I'm- knocking on the door. Are you creating a universe in there? <laughs> God, no, ma. I told you not to bother me while my door shut. Ah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh my god! Could you guys imagine that kind of? Oh god! I'm just like trying to. I'm just like trying to like imagine like some sort of weird. Oh, I don't even know what's going through my head right now. Yes. And that, it's probably a good thing. I I unfortunately can see it all too clear in my head, and it's a problem. So makes me really glad we don't have the video option on right now. I know, right? <laughs> but isn't it interesting? That's something that's so. It's often considered so taboo, or just not polite discussion yet that was a and again those are conventions that are you know superimposed onto you know other but it's just such an interesting idea of like well that's how it happened <laughs> and that was one version of different creation myths but if you guys could come up with your own creation myth what how do you think you would have created the world i'm i'm thinking the masturbation story <laughs> you know afterwards the gods like see that yeah i jacked that off <laughs> my jack that was just that. by tuesday <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see oh that i couldn't get to sleep one night created that <laughs> <laughs> I would like to imagine that I am not made out of semen, so I'm not going to go with that well, one. Well, I mean, technically. <laughs> you have one chromosome from that. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. I like the idea that I'm made out of stardust, like, way better. So it's I'm gonna just ejaculatory stardust. I'm just, just going to stick with the Big Bang, I think. Yeah, I th- except that when you think about it, I mean, isn't the Big Bang... Well, now I'm thinking of the Big Bang as like the big hand job. Which well, is it really- is. It's, it's basically, it's the same thing. It's an explosion. It's this huge explosion, which is the same thing as, you know, a god That's masturbating and yeah. creating the world. It's, I mean, it's definitely... Just got, shot out in all different directions. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a very similar type yeah. of uh, story. If you really look at it. This one just doesn't involve masturbation, so I'm going with it. That's true. Oh, there's Although, always masturbation yeah. involved. Oh, God. <laughs> or statues that are being molested in this case. Yes. <laughs> oh. Trico's laughing because he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just wonder how many universes I've flushed down the toilet. Oh, my God. <laughs> Somewhere there's a whole galaxy. <laughs> In a galaxy far, far away down in the sewers. <laughs> Little wow. did we know the multiverse was actually all Draco's <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, I can't think of a better way to end the show. Yeah, I mean, yeah. end it with a bang, right? We covered it all. Uh, flying poop, <laughs> masturbation, sexual statues. Yeah. <laughs> one-eyed yeah. warrior women? Yeah, yeah one-eyed warrior women. Sexual yeah, all the up. things that I yeah. want to see in and then penises, which is yeah. clearly the best way to end anything. Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah, you can't you can't go further than that. I always no, no. end my night with a penis. <laughs> Whoa, check out. We got to talk. <laughs> Does your wife know about this? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god thank you so much for coming yeah. on the show carly thank you so much for having me i'm really just i think you guys are doing awesome awesome things and i appreciate oh, you. you letting me ramble no absolutely oh, anytime it's fun. we didn't we learned a whole bunch of stuff yeah. and we barely had to talk so that's, <laughs> yeah. that is that is like a win-win win. for us i, I loved mean, it I, I mean, I have the gift of gab in that sometimes I, if I get talking to something I'm really passionate about, I'm, it's kind of hard to shut me up. So I'm uh, digging. Um, I was drinking the whole time. So I'm like, this is sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Pouring myself another shot. <laughs> I'm so glad I could provide a reason. <laughs> that is my yes de resistance. Awesome. That, that, that is what I'm going to say. I provided a reason. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, anyone who's interested in learning more about the weird, the wild, the sexy, and the plain disturbing um, <laughs> of the ancient world, you can find me on Twitter at Carly A. Silver, um, ancienthistory.about.com, and I'm also contributing writer to historybuff.com. Uh, coming up on Tuesday, oh, this is for New Yorkers, but if anyone from New York is listening <laughs> on Tuesday, I'm going to be dishing about the weird world of uh, the lost city of Atlantis awesome. at mm. Society for the Advancement for Social Studies, which is going to be really fun. We're doing an urban legend special, and I'm going to be a speaker. And then on at the Brooklyn Brainery, which is that great spot that I mentioned earlier, um, on a uh, at the end of April, I'm going to be doing my Game of Thongs lecture. So awesome. you want to learn more about penises and Pompeian graffiti and <laughs> basically all uncomfortable things that or things that make you uncomfortable when you're around your parents. <laughs> but not when you're sitting next to a stranger. You guys are like high-fiving yeah. over it. You're like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and, yeah. Or, you know, Roman porn or just things that are full of sex. Um, that is also going to be – I think that's the last – Wednesday in in April, and that's also going to be in New York. Cool, um, nice, awesome. We need cool. to get to New York. I yeah. know, right? <laughs> yeah, we're missing out on some things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there are some pretty awesome things here, but I also love traveling to just see all of the wonderful things. Yeah, well, there's not a lot of wonderful things in this area, but <laughs> well, if you ever make it over this way, <laughs> Shelby Township is the place to come yeah. Yeah, if yeah, you yeah. are coming to Michigan. <laughs> Not to hey, look, I'm de- if I'm in the area, I will definitely, well, of course, I have to look you guys up. Yeah. But it looks like you guys are the whiskey capital of Michigan. We are we now. Are. Yeah. We've, we've officially made it so. Officially, unofficially. Yes. Yeah. We've officially made it yeah. so, but it's, it's not necessarily the truth. Yeah. <laughs> we live in a bubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I was in one other town in competition. Yeah. <laughs> Some town up in the UP is like, wait a minute. We're the whiskey capital. <laughs> I'm trying to think like what I would or like what where I live. I don't know would be the capital of it's just it's it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> deli sandwiches. Capital of deli sandwiches. Yeah. They got a lot of good food in New York. Yeah. No, that's true. We do. We do. I mean, cap. I'm well, I think New York would be like the capital of overpriced, undersized real estate. <laughs> awesome. Yes, I would yes. agree with that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's. Oh, God. Um, I mean, I love it here, but it's. Yeah. They have, yeah. <laughs> there, there, there's really no, uh, no, no way to know. <laughs> just, just, just no. There's really, there's no way to, unless like you're, you know, 
in finance or something like that. There's really no way to do this well. Yeah. <laughs> to, to make the New York existence easy just because like, it's – My bed's in the bathtub. Um, <laughs> I have a closet and that's where I have to put like yeah. my desk and like all my <laughs> – We've murphied everything. There's a Murphy bed. There's a Murphy desk. There's a Murphy stove. <laughs> just, just like into the wall. No, I mean that's – Pretty sort of, yeah. Kind of, <laughs> sort of. I'm looking around because I, uh, uh, yeah, kind of. I, I store most of, like, I store things in my oven. Obviously, it's not on, <laughs> but um, I store things in my oven. I have like, you, again, it's kind of like you just have to like. There's nowhere to go but up because the space in terms of length is taken up. So it's really just like. What can I pile on top of something else so that it hopefully will not fall? It's like <laughs> a really awesome game of Jenga. Yes. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm I always this is a particularly weird thing, but I love corgis. I swear this is rel- not really relevant, but it's but so I always like joke that like I want enough corgis to stack them like Jenga blocks. Oh, that would be really cute. I That would be ridiculous. Except I don't want anyone lie. to fall. I just want to hug them all. So you only really want like six corgis. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, that's, you know, you know, can't, you know, like their dogs are a super big commitment and all that stuff. They're just <laughs> fun. I mean, I, like they're just there's they're little like chicken nuggets with legs. They're one. <laughs> uh, awesome. That's fantastic. Very true. Cool. Cool. Um, anything else you, you want to plug? Uh, I think I'm the, I think I, I plugged what's, what's pluggable for the moment. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I'm, about to say, I'm trying to think of, um, yeah, again, I'm Carly, a silver C A R L Y A S I L V E R on Twitter. Tweet me about anything weird history wise. If you have any questions about like, or anything that you think would make a good article topic or like, Hey, what happened to this person? Or like, why did, you know, why did Caesar divorce his second wife? I can tell you that. Also, I can tell you all of Caesar's sordid secrets, which I feel like is a really good name for a really bad like Caesar's ancient sordid, sordid secrets. secrets. Yeah, yeah. No, awesome. I like it. That's that's a whole podcast series. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Like for yeah, I mean there are so many. Like he was supposed. To, some rumors had him as Brutus's uh, secret love father. Like he was actually the Brutus was actually his son, but. That's another. Story That's a up. whole other thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. Mind blown. <laughs> Caesar part two coming in. <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah. There's, there's, there's so much more Caesar. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks yeah, for coming was, on. Yeah, a lot thank of fun. you so yeah. much. All right. Well, until cool. our next episode. Yeah, I'm Trike. Do you I'm guys, Stephanie? I'm Dove. And you are. <laughs> oh, I'm Carly. I'm, Carly. I'm sorry. That's okay. You're not it's used right. to it. Yeah, it's yeah. Fine. yeah. <laughs> yes, I last time I checked, I'm pretty sure I'm I'm myself. Yes. Good. Awesome. Um, 